shaking everybody you're listening to improv tabletop the show that is an rpg actual play where we make up anywhere on a spectrum of almost everything to absolutely everything on the spot depending on what show we happen to be doing at the time but today we're not doing any of that we are having a nice little one-on-one interview between well i am ned wilcock your host and gm gotta read this script here and today i'm joined by evan peterson as myself exactly not behind the artifice of seaway lang or lucky the schnauzer or whatever character it may be (laughs) this is just real raw evan lee peterson that we're getting tonight in the flesh audio wise yes auditory flesh why does that sound gross (laughs) i mean it it did feel gross coming out of my mouth as i was saying it but we're going to pivot directly from that into you know introducing you you're of the uh, cast members of improv tabletop one of the ones that i've known the longest it's true met when i was a wee lad of 14 years old and had a little break in the middle where we didn't talk and then just through sheer happenstance met back up in college and have stayed in touch ever since yeah from back in those if you've listened to the tension builders and you know that we met working at a scout camp back in the day Mm -hmm. and what grand old times those were but now we are old and curmudgeonly and instead of teaching people how to do real life skills we teach people on the internet how to play make them up games More valuable, I'd argue. Exactly. I taught. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I taught basket weaving, <laughs> so I didn't. I didn't really teach anyone anything of use. Yeah, I literally taught kids about dirt for a long time. Oh yeah, same. I did soil and water conservation at one point. Yeah, a very weird merit badge. Now that I think about it. <laughs> I know. But that is neither here nor there because we are going to be talking tonight about improv and tabletops. Let's uh, take a look at this sort of list of questions. If you've been listening to our previous interviews that we've done with some of the other members of the cast, you've probably heard some of these before. But uh, we're going to start off with some icebreakers. What is your favorite breakfast cereal? I'm kind of naturally a contrarian, so I want to say it's Frosted Mini Wheats because I really like those, Mm. but I'm tempted to say Raisin Bran because my wife hates those, (laughs) but those are my top two at any given time. Those are the two I generally go for. Mm -hmm. Frosted Mini Wheats, though, are probably a little nearer and dearer to my heart. Yeah, Raisin Bran Crunch, though, that's pretty far up there for me. It's really good. Frosted Mini Wheats are nice because I've kind of... I feel boring saying this, but I've kind of started moving out of the sugary cereal phase. Mm. And if I eat something too sugary, I'm like, this just feels like I'm eating candy or something. Mm -hmm. And Frosted Mini Wheats actually have enough, like, something to fill me up a little bit, but they're still sweet and delicious. Yeah, it's got at least the illusion of making you feel like you're eating something healthy. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Next one, who's your favorite Winnie the Pooh character? It's really hard. There's a lot of fan favorites. But I think I'd probably say Eeyore because Eeyore was my mom's favorite Winnie the Pooh character. And she had sweaters and stuff with Eeyore on it. And I also think Eeyore's really funny because I don't know what A.A. Milne was smoking when he was like, what if one of the characters was a depressed pin the tail on the donkey? (laughs) (laughs) And also a lot of the characters, their names, a lot, not all, but a lot of them are like, Kanga and Rue and Tigger is pretty close to Tiger and Piglet is a piglet and maybe I don't know enough about etymology I'm sure someone can educate me on why but I think it's funny that Eeyore as far as I'm currently aware has nothing to do with donkey 
so I don't know the relation between the name Eeyore and a donkey. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't realize for a very long time, but I was living in upstate New York for a while, and I was meeting with this older woman who owned a donkey who she had named Eeyore, mm -hmm. and one day she called out to him and was like, Eeyore! Oh. Kind of in that New York accent. It was like, oh, that's why he's called Eeyore. It's the bray of the donkey. It's like an onomatopoeia. Yeah. Wow. I, you learn something new every day. Well, I like Eeyore. Mm -hmm. And I like Eeyore because he is like depressed, which is kind of weird, but also <laughs> it's not weird to be, it's weird to have a character in a children's story that is always depressed. Mm -hmm. um, but I like that there's that representation and that all his friends are always still just like, hey, you want to hang out? Like, mm -hmm. hey, it's cool. We'll still come chill with you. Yeah. He's got a good crew. Yeah. Strong crew for a strong mule. Mm hmm. And then our last icebreaker, what is your dream job or vocation? So you sent me these last night to start thinking, and this has been the one that's like plagued my mind because <laughs> there's so many things I've thought of at different points and there's so many different ways you could approach this. I think a lot of people these days kind of naturally fall towards like, oh, I'd love to, you know, make YouTube videos, make podcasts. Like there's tons of creative types that would want to do that. And we're trying to do that. And I, I see the appeal of like being your own boss. If like I, if you ever miss a deadline, the person you have to forgive is yourself and you don't have the fear of like a boss coming down on you. So all that sounds really nice. But if I'm focusing more on traditional jobs, all of my high school science teachers were coaches, which I'm not sure for our foreign listeners if that's a weird thing. I don't know if they do that in other countries, but in America, they make the coaches also like teach a class, mm -hmm. at least at my school they did. And they're generally more interested in being coaches. So yeah. there's kind of a stereotype that they're not usually the best teachers. So my science base was shot from the get-go. <laughs> and so I never was interested in any major that included a lot of science courses because I had like I was not good at science. And that's really sad because I've always wanted to work with animals. Mm. I love animals. I think animals are amazing. Uh, I've always had some form of pet throughout my life. I've had dogs, rats, fish, hamsters, and just I'm always watching videos every time. Lizards, mammals, like I think they're all so cool and interesting and cute in their own weird ways. But I never like pursued an actual career working with them because there was just always so many biology classes. And so I really just never really went forward with those. But every time I go to like a zoo, I'm so like jealous of seeing the zoo workers who get to go in and get up close and personal with all these cool animals and feed them and work with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really awesome. So if, if I could go back, I might put in the work to learn some more science and, and try and get a job working with animals. Yeah. In the meantime, though, you can always pretend to be somebody who works with animals. Exactly. <laughs> That's, everyone listening is like, see way lay. I'm also really, really interested in the in like aquatic animals, and one of my bucket list items is to go in a submarine below where the sun shines. Mm. It's like my only bucket list item, really, is I really want to do that. So maybe some sort of like marine biologist would have been cool to actually get to be one of the people that studies ocean life. Man, it's interesting that you find yourself getting like more interested in the deep sea, whereas I get older, I find myself getting more terrified by the deep sea. <laughs> like very recently, I kind of went through some rounds with Thomas over like, okay, I'm really interested in Subnautica, but I'm also kind of terrified of the idea of playing Subnautica. It's, oh, it's an experience. And it, it almost makes me sad now that I've played it because it's, it really is like, I don't think any copycat or anything could recreate the feeling of playing Subnautica. Because when you first start, I remember watching Thomas play on Twitch 
And when you first start, he'd go down like over a hundred meters. And I'd be like, he's going so deep. He's going to run out of oxygen before he can get back to the surface. And then you slowly unlock like expansions to your oxygen tank or little vehicles. You can like drive around to move quicker and you go a little deeper and a little deeper mm -hmm. and a little deeper and it gets darker and darker. But eventually you kind of acclimate to a certain point and you get more used to it. And so I don't think I'll ever get that feeling when you first start of like, oh, I broke 200 meters. I am so deep. Like I'm terrified. Mm -hmm. Like your chest gets tight. You're like, oh my gosh, I need to get back to the surface. It's a really, I don't know. I'm, I could go on about Subnautica all day. I've 100%ed it. I got all the achievements. I love that game. Yeah, he, he did finally manage to get me to pull the trigger when it went on Steam sale recently. There you go. Still haven't started it yet, but it's in my <laughs> library. I saw they just, I was going to text you actually, because they just put out an update for Steam Deck. And I was like, you might want to yeah. want to get on this. Yeah, Thomas texted me exactly that same thing while I was still on the fence. <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you think. Yeah, one of these days I'll build up the courage to play that game great game but now we get into our podcast related questions so first off what is some of your history with improv and acting yeah so um acting i mean i guess if i wanted to be really formal acting my first like official play was in high school i mean they had little elementary school plays and stuff and as a kid my brothers would like put on their own little shows for the family and stuff and i did that with my brother sometimes but formal experience the drama teacher at my high school was insane. So I didn't do any acting because he was like literally a sociopath. The guy was crazy. Exciting. Um, I mean, I sh maybe I shouldn't be that harsh because <laughs> my name is public and people can be creepy and track down who it is. But I, there were all these weird rumors about him and he just kind of intimidated me. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't, I wasn't that interested in doing drama, but I found out that there was an annual musical and it was run by my choir teacher who I loved. He was the best. And the drama teacher from the middle school was actually the one who was in charge of that. And she was super chill, super cool. And everyone was like, no, the musical is the most fun part of the year. You got to audition. So I did that each year. And then while I was in high school, uh, I went to a fine arts camp in Alaska two summers, which uh, my choir teacher, again, who I loved, he is from Alaska and he's from the town where this camp was. And so he like worked there and he loved it. He told me about it. And so I went and they had an improv class, which I did not get to take because it was the most in-demand class. <laughs> But uh, they had, you know, since it's a fine arts camp, part of it is performing. There were like nightly performances from the teachers and the instructors and then during the final week from different classes, all this stuff. So I got to see some improv performances. And one of the performances I saw, uh, they were doing it just at night, just in a chapel on like the campus. They were just like, anyone who wants to come, we're just going to do some improv. You can play with us maybe. And they did a long form scene and it was three guys. They started out as like a couple on their honeymoon and then one of them tagged them out and kind of established that they were flashing forward. And it was like the wife and her best friend were like getting manicures and like kind of talking. He was like, oh my gosh, so what did he do next? And they established this like flashback, flash forward pattern. So the scene was this girl and her best friend like at the spa and she was telling the story of like their honeymoon when they first got married. And then they like kept every time they would go back in time a little bit, they would jump forward in the relationship. And they told the story from like honeymoon to divorce of this couple mm. flashing back and forth in time. It was like so, so complex, completely improvised with three dudes. 
And so at first it was like, haha, they're playing girls, which like now is not a big deal. But like I was in high school and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, tee hee. Um, but then like by the end, I like cried. <laughs> I was like so emotionally invested. And up to that point, all I had seen was whose line is it anyway? And so I just read like improv is funny, crack jokes. And I'd only seen short form improv. And I was like, oh my gosh, these guys just did like a 45 minute scene that was so emotional that like brought me to tears that told like a story of love that like fell apart, like playing a gender that isn't even their own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, that was incredible. And I immediately was like, I, w- I want to do this. I need to do this. And so then when they would do kind of the nighttime stuff that anyone could get in, I got up a couple times and tried it, but I could never get in one of the actual official classes because they filled up too quick. Mm. So then flash forward to going to college. I see you, you and I are hanging out in the hall one day and I see a poster that our college improv group is doing a show with Laura Hall, the pianist for Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. And I'll be honest, at that point, I might have like, I hadn't thought about improv in a while because that was clear back in high school. Um, and if it just said like improv group crew, I would have been like, oh, that might be fun. Maybe I should go, but I'm not sure I would have made it. But this was like, oh my gosh, it's the pianist from Whose Line Is It Anyway? We got to go. And you were like, yeah, let's go. So you and I went together. And I freaking fell in love because I, I think despite going to a smaller college, we had a pretty solid improv crew there. Yeah. They had a really good show. Unbeknownst to me at the time, our instructor was part, he actually performed in that show because he, he was, I guess, I don't know. I never actually asked. I guess he was probably just excited to perform with Laura Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very talented and blew my mind a few times in the show, some of his musical bits. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. But I was like, I'll probably never be able to do that. And then thanks to you, you auditioned and got in and that sort of like personalized it Mm -hmm. because as long as it's people I don't know doing something then you can easily just be like well they're probably just like the most insane like prodigies like just perfect at everything they do I could never and so when it's someone you know you immediately are like it, it makes it more of a realistic thing you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I was like, wow, okay, like maybe I should audition. I mean, like Ned's really, really good. I know like I haven't done as much acting as him, but maybe I could try. And so I started auditioning and yeah, I would go to every show, see the people, see the shows and then audition each semester. And then maybe we can talk a little more about this in a bit, talking about like tips for people getting into improv, but I wasn't getting in, wasn't getting in. I got really disappointed, kind of stopped going to the shows because I was grumpy and being all pouty. And then I went to an audition and was like, well, I'm not going to get in, but it's kind of a fun way to spend an afternoon the first week of the semester. So I'll just go and just like have fun for a couple hours. And that was the time I got in. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. I got I got into the crew. Um, you and I got to do it get together for a little while, made a ton of great new friends who were all on this podcast. And a couple semesters in, you were like, hey, there's a Pathfinder crew. So we started playing Pathfinder. And yeah, just uh, I fell in love with it. And it really is like, I don't know. I, I was always in choirs and in shows. But even when I was in something, I could always sort of tell like certain things that were like not quite up to snuff. You know, I was always kind of hypercritical of my own work um, and things I was involved in. And that to this day is one of the most like proud of something I've been a part of. Like mm-hmm. there were certain there were rough shows, but there were some shows where I came out and I was like, I am part of a group that is putting on something I can be so proud of. Like the work we're doing out here is I'm really proud of what we're doing here. It's really funny. It's really 
like we're just really solid yeah so it was some of the yeah those were my favorite semesters of college was getting to be part of comic frenzy yeah it's interesting thinking back to that story of finally managing to get in because it seems like kind of a recurring theme in your improv ethos something that you've mentioned a few times on the show is the idea that the times in improv when you're trying the hardest are the times when you fail the hardest oh yeah and the times when you just let it be natural and have fun and enjoy the process are the times when you create the best art. Absolutely. All the hardest laughs I got in Comic Frenzy were from lines that I didn't take any time to think about. They just felt like what my character I was playing, it just made sense, right? Mm -hmm. It felt conversational. Someone would say something and I would just say something back in character. And then the audience would just bust up. And I was like, oh, wait, really? That was, I said something funny? Mm -hmm. And then there were times when I was like, oh, I got a line, you know, I got, I'm really cooking with this one. And you drop it and, and like you hear a chuckle or two and you're like, oh, that didn't, that didn't get a laugh at all. Mm -hmm. Man, that's also bringing back some memories of like, I still hadn't gotten into the improv troupe during that Rick and Laura Hall show, but that was when Thomas Brower and also Jacob Rollins, who are both on iCast Fireball, mm -hmm. they were in the group at that point. And those were the two that I like absolutely idolized. <laughs> like whenever those two were on stage together, there was like magic going on. It was like uh, kind of akin to the chemistry that you'll see between like Brennan Lee Mulligan and Lou Wilson on Dimension 20. Mm -hmm. And so I just like idolized these guys and it's so weird thinking back to now where we're super tight in iCast Fireball thinking <laughs> back to the time when I never thought I could like get onto the same level as them right no it, it feels surreal because yeah in the audience like they're like superstars mm -hmm. and then yeah get to perform with them it was kind of weird because there was a weird heavy turnover between the last semester i went to shows and when i finally got in so i didn't have as much of that mm -hmm. but yeah thomas brower was still there and then yeah a couple other people but no it is it feels weird for them to become your peers mm -hmm. but speaking of those peers you also mentioned a little bit about uh you know when we started that pathfinder group so what's some of your history with geekery and rpgs right so my first introduction was in high school to tabletop RPGs. I'm not really sure I have a tight history with geekery. I mean, I've played video games my whole life and I've never really been sort of snobbish towards those things, but I don't really have a lot of people have the tight like, oh, I watched every episode of Star Trek growing up or I always collected comic books. And I never really had a specific thing like that. But I was never like, oh, those guys are nerds. Like, I was never really negative towards it. I played a lot of video games in high school. I had some friends who were really into comic books and like the Marvel movies were getting big and I would go to all those and stuff. Mm -hmm. But Dungeons and Dragons was an interesting thing because I had a friend who played and he, he asked if I'd be interested in playing Pathfinder. And I got really excited because again, at that fine arts camp, there were a couple kids playing Pathfinder once. And I was like, oh, what's that? Can I play with you guys? And they were like, well, have you played before? And I was like, no. And they were like, well, it would take too long to explain then. Like, mm -hmm. And they basically were like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. That's a bad DM right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of a bummer. Um, and so he invited me and I was like, oh, that's that thing those like kids were playing. And like, I, I don't really know where I even had my idea of what Dungeons and Dragons was, but I kind of knew like the basic gist of like playing a character. And I was like, you know what? That sounds like fun. So I went to his house and just like me and him, he like showed me the character sheet, walked me through how to make a character. 
I don't quite remember the name, but I remember I was an elven ranger because the next day at school, one of my friends, I told another one of our friends, oh yeah, I went over to so-and-so's house last night and we were like playing D&D. And he was like, kind of giving me crap, uh, like, oh, you're such a nerd. And I turned around and was like, I am so-and-so, the elven ranger, like, you put respect on my name. Mm-hmm. And he he had a group that he played with, so I took that character to him. I made a couple other characters. I made a character that was, uh, I thought it'd be funny to be like a freestyle rapper bard. And the DM was totally cool with it, because he was that, their DM was awesome. Um, and he was like, okay, but like, you got to rap when you cast your spells and stuff. And so I was like making up little rhymes at the table and stuff. So yeah, I played with that group for a little while and it was a lot of fun. Um, but then, you know, sort of fell off. People went their separate ways. I graduated. I kind of thought my days with tabletop role playing were over. And then in Comic Frenzy, you were like, oh yeah, there's a group of people playing Pathfinder. And I was like, oh, that sounds super fun. Would it be all right if I came? And you were like, let me ask Thomas. And of course, Thomas Brower, he's a saint, mm-hmm. uh, allowed me to come join you guys. And that group is sort of at a ship of Theseus point at, at this point, <laughs> where it's technically the same group, but so many members have come and gone. Yeah. I think you were there when it originally, originally started. And that's the only person because I came in late and then other people came in late, but then other people left. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're the helm of the ship of Theseus and everything else around you has changed. Yeah. But we still play in that group, yeah. <laughs> technically. Thomas Brower gave me control over that group when we switched from Pathfinder to D&D 5e. And then he and Heather moved away after they graduated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's at the point where you and I are the only people left in that group who were there when it was Pathfinder. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's been, I've been playing in that group. We've had various spin-off groups. I took a hand at DMing myself. Mm-hmm. Played a lot of D&D since then. Yeah, actually, it's been a while since I've asked you about this, but do you still have like a sour taste in your mouth about monks due to your experiences in that Pathfinder campaign? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So what he's t- I played a monk and it, I just, it really wasn't even, I mean, it was one of my first characters I'd built in a long time. I kind of consider that almost my first character, even though I did play in high school. Mm-hmm. I barely remember the characters I made back in high school. So I kind of consider that because that's the one I remember best. And I, I think the construction was probably a little bad because I was like my first time building a Pathfinder character in so long. But I also just rolled, I don't know what it was, but I rolled terribly the whole way through week after week i was rolling ones and twos and threes just roll after roll my character literally this first time like my first session he slipped and fell on the ground after a nat one and then in the final final fight i literally didn't land a single attack i didn't do anything useful the entire fight and i just was like kind of mopey about it and thomas very rightfully just kind of ignored me and then after the session was like sorry man mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that was rough i mean i don't think i've played a monk since then but i don't know i still think they're cool in theory but yeah maybe that's why i haven't played one is because of that character yeah but then you switched to a barbarian for the next campaign and that went very well that went very well mm-hmm. i hit a lot of things very hard exactly which is a good way to get a beginner into a game is to give him a character that hits things really hard and just let him go yeah which incidentally is exactly the reason why mckenna loves playing monks so much yeah it's, and it's also so how we got my wife Mackenzie into D&D finally was we tried to give her a bard and she got confused and frustrated and then we gave her a barbarian and she hit things and she enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a good time. 
Well, we are still doing an Avatar-themed campaign, so you get the question, what is your history with Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh yeah, that one I, I was late to the party on. I didn't watch it growing up. I, well, I saw it on Nickelodeon, but because it was an actual series, I like watched a couple episodes and was like, I'm confused, and stopped watching mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was catching just weird episodes out of the middle of the show. I, I heard like a few people talking about like, oh, it's so good. Um, but it didn't seem to be like this big cultural phenomena or anything when my brother finally watched it and he was much older and he was like, no, this is really, really good. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like he's more picky with what he watches. I generally trust his recommendations. So I always thought that was weird. And so it was always sort of in the back of my mind, like if he watched it and really liked it and then it sort of grew and grew into like Avatar was weird because it was popular when it was on, but it also like exploded over time Mm -hmm. as more and more people caught it on streaming and stuff. And so then it grew and grew. And eventually I felt like everyone around me was like, no, Avatar is so good. It's like such a good show. So I want to say I was like probably between high school and college when I finally sat down and watched The Last Airbender. So yeah, I was very late to the party, but I mean, obviously loved it like everyone. And uh, I waited a while to watch Korra as well, but my wife and I watched that and I defend Korra avidly to this day because I think people, I don't know, I just got the wrong expectations because the first thing anyone ever says about Legend of Korra is like, oh, it's so good, but it's not as good as The Last Airbender. And it gave me this idea that like it wasn't good. And then I watched it and I was like, wait, but it is good. Like, I'll agree that it's not as good. But when the very first thing you say about a show is no, no, but it's not as good as this. Like, okay, fine. But it is a great show. I still really love Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. And so I defend it because I feel like people, the way they talk about it, like I think they like it, but they're just so quick to weirdly like shove it under the last airbender umbrella. And I think Legend of Korra is very good and possibly my favorite like era that we've seen so far. I really love the mix of like more modern technology with bending and all the benders like living together so they're not so isolated. I think it's cool. Yeah, incidentally, just yesterday, as of the time of recording, we got the next announcement from Magpie Games that sometime this spring, they're going to start pre-orders for the Republic City supplement for Avatar Legends. And I think that's definitely a testament to the staying power of Legend of Korra, that after they've gotten all of the core stuff taken care of from the original Kickstarter, the first thing they're focusing on is Republic City. It's Legend of Korra content. Almost makes me sad I wasn't in that one shot, so I won't be in the the main campaign for that one, (laughs) if we ever do one. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll have to see, because the main campaign for the Kyoshi era was supposed to be you and Thomas Brower and McKenna. That's true. And now we see where we are. (laughs) It's true. We'll see what happens. It'll be a very uh, pro-bending league <laughs> themed. Yeah. That'll be our sports movie motif. Yeah, I'm very excited to see, like, if they don't have pro-bending rules in that book, I'm going to be very surprised. Yeah, that's got to be there. Dude, speaking actually of pro sports and whatnot, a thought that I had when we were talking about geekery is, uh, you talk about how you weren't, like, a big geek when you were growing up, but I... Now, I haven't been very in touch with professional wrestling for (laughs) any of my life until I started talking about it with you. That's true. And I'm realizing more and more as I learn more about professional wrestling, how similar the enthusiast mindset is between a professional wrestling fan and like a sci-fi or fantasy fan. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I I was also actually a little late to that, but no, professional wrestling is, I, I caught it my freshman year of high school. I was scrolling through the channels and my brothers were really into it when I was a little kid. And my mom was like, you can't watch that. And they would watch it every Monday night. 
Uh, it was like peak, peak wrestling when they were into it. Monday Night Wars, WCW versus WWE. And so then way later, I was like, what is this all about? Like, I, I, my brothers were so into this. I haven't heard anything about it in so long. And uh, I, I clicked on it. And the night I tuned in, Dave Batista retired. Oh, wow. And I thought I must be seeing something fake because the very first thing I saw was him coming out and being like, I quit the WWE. And I was like, whoa, that felt like a big moment. But like, he'll probably, like, I know it's all scripted, so he'll be back, right? And he was just gone. <laughs> and I was like, what the heck? I found out later he legitimately was like done for the time. He came back a few years later and did another like year or two, but he was like leaving. So the very first thing I saw was a very major wrestler retiring. But yeah, I started to watch and I was like, this is actually kind of cool. But I knew it was kind of something people sort of ragged on. So there was like one point when I was almost late for like a church activity. And I told my like church youth leader, sorry, I was almost late. I was watching wrestling, like thinking he would joke with me about it or make fun of me, which our activities were Tuesday nights. And all he said was, that's on Monday night. And I was like, how do you know? <laughs> and he was like, I watch it every week. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I had this guy at church who would talk about wrestling with me and then later on in high school i started to become friends with this guy uh, named brady shout out to brady he's one of my best friends and i went over to his house because we met in high school and it turns out we lived about a block away from each other our entire lives <laughs> so i walked over to his house and he had all the wwe video games and i was like you watch wwe and he was like you watch wwe so like instant bond we still message about wrestling to this day mm. he taught me a lot because he was way more into it than i was and showed me all the like indie scenes and stuff but yeah it, there is a, a level of enthusiasm amongst the fans there's definitely very I mean, there there's that subsection of fans that are so hardcore that you almost don't want to associate with them there's the subset of fans that think they're too cool like they act too cool to be associated with the other fans but like you like it too you're here too watching you know mm -hmm. <laughs> but i will say for anyone who's not into pro wrestling if you've never watched it maybe give it a shot if you still don't like it that's fine but if you ever get a chance to go to a live event they are a lot of fun they are very electric I went to one, they have these things they call house shows, which are like not a storyline related. They're not televised. They happen between the televised ones. I went to one of those. It was great. And then when I was living in Washington, I found out one night that they had had to reschedule a pay-per-view and it was happening in my town, like at an arena 20 minutes away. Mm. And like they had sold almost no tickets because they had had to move venues so last minute. And so I got a ticket and went to an actual pay-per-view, like a WWE pay-per-view, and it was so much fun. So if you ever get a chance to go to live wrestling, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, there's also the the geek connection, like the WWE video games. Those have been around forever. It's a lot of fun. And I mean, like Dave Batista's a geek icon at this point, basically. <laughs> yeah, being in Marvel and Dune and yeah. being just a weirdly great actor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, if not, like, I know he's not the, like The Rock's obviously the most profitable wrestler turned actor but i think batista's the most talented wrestler turned actor mm. he is scary good at acting he's so into it takes it so seriously yeah i mean you don't get into dune without being a good actor that's true well at least denny villain waves dune um, <laughs> we don't talk about david lynch's <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll listen to sting's music and that's it uh moving on from that though what are your top three characters you've played on the podcast and what do you enjoy about them? So, I mean, the, to get the obvious out of the way, I love Seaway with all my heart. 
maybe that's part of just playing them longer you naturally grow more attached but i don't know from the start i I said on a recent talk back if anyone hasn't listened to create cua i used the ned wilcock school of character creation for rpgs which is to make a character that likes getting along with people Mm -hmm. and if you do that everyone at your table will love your character and by extension people listening to your podcast will love your character Mm -hmm. and it seems to have worked pretty well people seem to like cua i like cua um, I also just liked the idea where this whole game, if you read the rule book, it's very like, you're a scoundrel, you're a criminal. I was like, what if I just make the cuddliest teddy bear character? Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that even then you can't avoid getting some mud on it. Yeah. But I still love that juxtaposition and I think he's a lot of fun. And then I like even the juxtaposition in himself of when he puts on the mask and sort of becomes dangerous. Uh, I don't know. I just think he's a lot of fun to kind of play around with. He's very layered. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually pulled up the list so I could remember because I've been in actually, I'm realizing quite a few, I've played quite a few different characters on this show. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while, it turns out. And I'm noticing, I think, I don't know, I'm trying hard to get away from this, but I think it's still, I don't know, maybe it's just human nature. I'm noticing my favorite characters are the ones I succeeded most at. Going back to that (laughs) monk I made in Pathfinder that rolled terribly, so I hate him now. Yeah. My other two favorite characters I'm realizing are the ones I managed to like roll really well (laughs) in. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I really like Dagger from Transformer Rejects. Mm. I actually thought that was a lot of fun uh, getting to yammer on about the good old days. And then, you know, I can't help it. I rolled well and I got to use an explosion to ride a piece of scrap metal into the air, which was a really cool moment that stands out in my memory of things I've done on the podcast. Um, And then Calcifer from Halloween PD. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He just was like it was cool because I did manage to succeed, but it wasn't just because I succeeded on my roles in the final episode that makes me love him. It was because being able to succeed on those roles sort of helped flesh out this arc of someone who's not very social, doesn't have a lot of friends, kind of learning to stand up for himself and stand up for his friends Mm -hmm. and getting to stand up at the end. And then sort of our little tableau at the end of him and his friends going off to have a land party together. I don't know. That was a really, I think that was a really sweet arc of, I really liked that whole, that whole series the way that group came together and became unlikely friends i'm also seeing a bit of a relationship between these characters in terms of like they're kind of very grounded characters compared to the other people who are in those groups because <laughs> if you look at like dagger next to free spin and scorch guard who are both very unpredictable very emotional characters <laughs> and similarly with zmay and harshnag from halloween pd you know zmay just off womanizing and harshnag being very very emotional as well <laughs> and then you just get caught in the center trying to hold everything together while your friends are <laughs> off doing whatever that's what i like to do i do i don't know i've always thought that i'm, I'm kind of a straight man of comedy that's kind of a, a role i like to try and inhabit mm-hmm. I, I never have been as attracted to doing big funny voices or even when we i was in comic frenzy i was never the one to put myself if i got to establish my own character i wasn't the one walking on stage putting on a big crazy voice doing big crazy mannerisms if i walked on stage and someone went oh grandma yeah i'd hunch over and put on my old lady voice but i just kind of gravitate more towards that straight man role um and a lot of my favorite comedic like actors and stuff i've noticed are the straight men like jason bateman i think is one of my favorite comedic actors of all time Mm -hmm. and he is more often than not just the calm amongst the chaos of whatever comedy he's in 
And so, yeah, that's a role I've always kind of liked. And I've had other people kind of compliment me on like sort of dry sarcasm being part of my like sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And and again, where, where my basis is that scene I saw at fine arts camp of a very serious improv scene and learning improv can be serious. I like to try and bring an emotional core. That's what really made me fall in love with improv was seeing like it's funny, but then it can also hit you right where you feel something. So I try not to force that because I've also learned that doesn't work. But I definitely try and be a character that can invite that. Yeah, you definitely have to have balance, especially like I being essentially the director of an improv troupe, which is an interesting thing to admit out loud. <laughs> like I had spoken in times with our improv director from back in college, and he was very generous and would let us as the players be part of the casting process to some degree. But casting is really a lot about understanding the strengths of individual players and how they work together with each other. And so as much as the audience loves the chaos that a Connor Wood or a Thomas Ryan or a Thomas Brower brings to the table, Mm -hmm. I couldn't put the three of those people into (laughs) a campaign without somebody to kind of hold the fort together. Right. That's something to try in just like a fate where you only have one month. See how off the rails that's getting. Oh boy. (laughs) That would be... (laughs) That'd be a lot. Uh, That that is a good word for it. Um, No, I remember... That's interesting you bring that up. I do remember one time in Comic Friends uh, when we did our shows we'd get a little program of what games were being played and who was playing them and there was one time I don't remember what it was but me and someone else were like oh man we both were like I don't really like this game as much that I have to play and I was like what if we traded and I went to our leader and was like hey can we trade games and he's the nicest guy <laughs> and this is the only time he looked at me and he smiled and went no and that was all he said <laughs> I was like oh I felt it was the weirdest way I felt scolded mm-hmm. because he had never just outright been that just no just you can't do that and now looking back i'm like i think he spent a lot of time probably looking over who was working together like in each game that he was putting into each show Mm -hmm. and like he probably spent a lot of time balancing personalities strengths weaknesses to try and put together people he thought would work together well yeah it's you know definitely huge kudos to good old trevor for giving me a good example of how to wrangle cats in this sort of manner Mm -hmm. but now that we're back kind of in the improv vein of things do you have any advice for people who want to get into improv uh, yeah, definitely. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought this was, might be where we talked about it more a little bit, but just, and, and we talked about it earlier, like the letting go, not needing to be funny, mm-hmm. letting what happens in the scene come, like just put yourself in the mindset of a character and just react. A lot of people, I don't know, they sort of get this idea about improv, like we're doing something special and it is, it is a talent. It is something you learn, but at the same time, I always tell people like, you're improvising 24 hours a day. You're improvising on a Zoom call with your teammates. Like you're just, the character you're playing is yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a script. That's life, life isn't scripted. And that's what makes improv so cool is that it's not scripted. You just get to play someone else for a little while. And so just really doing it, first off, just get in there and do it. Definitely let go of the idea of needing to be funny because that's the number one like beginner mistake is you see these people who get really excited and that's great. And then they try really hard to be funny, but then no one's laughing. It's awkward for everyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like just get rid of that idea of being funny and just focus really hard on reacting how you feel the character you're embodying would react. 
And man, I'm going to throw like half of an improv course into all this because I'm going off on all these tangents. (laughs) But like, relax. Don't worry about being good. Don't worry about being funny and focus on helping the other people on stage. That's how I'll try and condense all this because it's so much easier to constantly give gifts to other people. It sounds more natural when you walk on stage and go, ever since I got this eye patch from the injury I got down, everyone's like, ugh, improv. Like they always just say all these things out loud. (laughs) And for some reason, it just sounds that much more natural to just say to your teammate, ever since you got that eye patch, Mm -hmm. it's just weirdly, it just sounds better. Yeah. (laughs) Like then to constantly out loud narrate things about your own character. So just focus on the other people. Talk about them, their characters, what they're doing. It just makes everything go so much smoother. And you'll find that if you just do it, get more comfortable with it. Then, like I said earlier, you'll have moments where you're just almost having a conversation. You don't even really realize you're kind of playing a character. Someone just says something to you and you just respond in a way that just feels natural. It's the first thing that comes to your brain. It's just like how you would respond in real life. It might get laughs, it might not, but you're telling a story together and it'll happen. Yeah, I think one of the things that was really special about the group of people that we had back in the day was we had a lot of people who really understood the importance of getting your ego out of the way (laughs) and... And what you said about focusing on other people, like the ego is a very difficult thing to get over in performance because you want people to like what you're doing. You want the approval of the audience and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so you're up there thinking about how can I make myself look good? And it's really hard for the ego to get into that position. But when you don't worry about making yourself look good, when you worry about making other people look good, your ego's not part of the equation anymore. So you've just taken out like one of the most difficult inhibitors to good improv right. just by not focusing on yourself and focusing on other people. Exactly. So yeah, I kind of said a lot, but just relax. You improvise every day. Don't try too hard to be funny or poignant or anything. And then just give everything back to the other people on stage with you and you'll reap the rewards. Yeah. And it really also does come with time. Like you mentioned earlier, you saw this 45 minute scene that these people did. Mm -hmm. And I remember back when we were in class, if we could manage to get up to like a 10 or a 15 minute scene, (laughs) we'd be like, man, we really, you know, clapping each other on the back. Holy cow. We just made, did an amazing feat there. And now just the more you get to know the people you're working with, the more experience you have with improv, we record over an hour long for some of these sessions. And we get to the end, it's kind of like, man, we probably could go longer. No, for sure. I I remember we, uh, man, they always feel like they just go so off the rails at a certain point. We tried a one time to just see how kind of how long we could go just without like outside of class time. I remember you came, I think, and did that with us. We just grabbed a little side room and we're like, let's just do a long form. Let's see how long we can go for. And man, that went all over the place. It was a terrible scene. I'm glad no one was watching it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's hard. And yeah, but just like putting the hours. I mean, it's kind of a classic quote amongst a lot of creative people, but when you first start in something, it's because you enjoy it and you have good taste about it. You know, the Ira Glass, there's a whole quote from Ira Glass. I won't do all of it because it's kind of long, but if you're a creative person and haven't heard the Ira Glass quote, just Google Ira Glass, good taste, and you'll find it. Um, But he has a whole thing talking about how you have good taste. And so you start doing something. And because you have good taste, you know that what you're making isn't very good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he encourages you to just push through, just make a bunch of crap, just do it all. And you'll start to get better. You, but you really have to push through. And as a creative person, since you have good taste, 
you're going to be more aware that what you're making is not quite what you want to be making. And it'll probably be the same way your first few improv scenes. Like I said, I auditioned, I think, three times, not getting in. I think it was my fourth, either third or fourth, when I finally did get in. And even then, you're rough for your first semester. I was a little rough for my second semester. It was my fourth or fifth before I was like, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this. Mm -hmm. And that was doing four hours of improv a week. So yeah, just get it out. Get on stage. Make a fool of yourself. It's all right. Yeah. And then do you have any advice for people who want to get into tabletop gaming? Oof, I'm not sure about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's a, there's a lot of things when you're first starting out. Um, I guess don't be afraid to DM if that's what needs to happen. Uh, part of the hardest part, if you're trying to find someone else to DM for you, it's really hard to find a group. I've been very blessed to never have to like find a group online, so I don't, I don't have much advice in that arena. But I will say, when you do find a group, follow that that network. That, that, I joke, but it is a good way of looking at creating characters because you'll find as you get more into the scene, if you haven't played any TTRPGs, you'll find a lot of kind of tropes or red flags that everyone has seen a million times. The the lone wolf character. Well, this is a group game. You can't have a lone wolf character. Like mm -hmm. it, it can work, but it's hard. And just maybe don't do that, and it'll be a lot easier for everyone. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone's like, I've got the edgy you know i've seen lord of the rings and i like the rogue in the corner in the bar like who doesn't want to work with it and like no that's hard to make work mm -hmm. uh just like look at what game you're playing especially if you're trying something not indie look at the type of game it is DD is very like combat focused so making a pacifist character could be interesting but it's going to make your life difficult it's going to maybe frustrate your teammates if you're not contributing to combat. So if you're going to make it, you have to make it with the idea of why am I already breaking my pact in session one? <laughs> like, And it's just easier not to worry about that stuff. Look at the type of game you're playing because a lot of games are trying to lean into certain tropes. Mm -hmm. um, games these days are very much like we're inspired by these movies or these TV shows. We're trying to make a game where you can sort of live out that fantasy. The whole thing is about living out a fantasy. Blades in the Dark is a heist game. It is a game about running heists. Watch Ocean's Eleven. Watch Logan Lucky. Watch heist movies and you'll learn kind of the type of game. And then you'll also start to realize there are archetypes, there are tropes that you can lean into that are going to make your first few games. Even if you feel like this is feel a little stereotypical for your first couple games, that's fine. Lean into a stereotype. Mm -hmm. It'll make it easier. Um, and then once you become familiar with the system, once you're comfortable at the table, you'll start to have ideas of, oh, wouldn't it be fun to throw this little twist in? But I'm kind of a bad person for like character creation too, because I'm notorious at our group that I always play a human. <laughs> and I also love like Marshalls. I'm like a human fighter or a human. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> again, I like being the calm in the chaos. So when everyone else are these absurd character races, I like to be the human in the group. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe my wife calls me boring for that, but I'm, I'll be a human fighter all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes boring is very, have, for a GM, sometimes having a quote unquote boring character character can be very relaxing and very refreshing <laughs> that's what that's what i try i try to be your calm amongst the storm your yeah, uh generally a gm's advocate sort of situation yeah, yeah that's what i try to be mm -hmm. but yeah just uh maybe lean into the stereotypes lean into the tropes and make a character that's a that's a team player mm -hmm. and it'll be a lot easier for everyone if your character hears another character's quest and thinks, oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I really want to help you out with that. You're, a, you're on a good path. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I know that I'm kind of a broken record of talking about games that aren't D&D. But just today I was reading through a book called Wander Home, which has a lot of steam in our patron discord. 
And you brought up the idea of, you know, if you want to play a pacifist, then that's not exactly going to jive very well with D&D 5e. But in the first few pages of Wanderhome, it specifically says, hey, this place was at war, but there's no violence here anymore. Just straight up. There's no violence in this world. There you go. So, yeah, maybe that's a choice if you want to play a pacifist character. Yeah, there is a game out there that fits a vibe you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So the hard part is finding groups. I don't know a ton about how to do that. I know there's a lot of online places to go and look around, but... There are a lot of games. If you want to do a heist, a lot of people kind of try to, oh, well, how do you do a heist in D&D 5e? You play Blades of the Dark. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there are ways to do it in 5e, but they're not as good as just playing Blades of the Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then on the flip side, if you try and do something that's not a heist in Blades of the Dark, it's more difficult. Yeah. It's fitting a square peg in a round hole. So yeah look for your vibe i really we've been trying out deadlands in our group because i like westerns a lot and that's been a lot of fun mm-hmm. call of cthulhu was kind of a weird one but kind of fun <laughs> i like cthulhu stuff too so there's a vibe out there for just about everything yeah and when you start to get into a more established group you can also start to figure out like the vibe of that group in general because while i look at call of cthulhu and say i really appreciate kind of the nuance of the mechanics here and i really like the cosmic horror call of cthulhu isn't a game that suits the sort of stories that that group wants to play Mm -hmm. we found out yep so just see what's out there and see what works yeah i mean sometimes i have fun just thinking of weird genres and then googling if there's ttrpgs in that genre (laughs) and there always is (laughs) well any other thoughts that you want to share with all of our friends out in podcast world before we wrap this up uh be excellent to each other Mm. i don't remember is that a bill and ted thing bill and ted yeah (laughs) no just i don't know be kind be good have fun trying out improv and tabletops and i mean no matter what you try even if it's not those things it never hurts to be kind that always gets you a step ahead i've found that it does Well, with that wonderful wisdom, we're going to conclude this here interview. Evan, it's been a delight getting to share a bit more about you with all of our friends out there. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, now all of you get to be better friends with Evan as well. Yeah. Look at that. If you want to talk in the uh, Patreon Discord, I'll be your friend. Mm -hmm. More than happy. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this interview. We'll be back next time with some more story adventures in Blades in the Daofei, which we're having a good time with. Uh, okay, I guess we'll go through the plugs because that's the thing that we do. Uh, we've got our sister podcast, I Cast Fireball, a D&D 5e actual play going through the campaign Tyranny of Dragons. One. We've got our fate campaigns. Two. Uh, we've got MTAB Avatar 10,000 Things. Three. Uh, we've got MTAB Avatar Blades to now Fae. Four. We've got our affiliation with Fanroll Dice. Use coupon code VroomVroomFeefe for 10% off your order. Five. And the other thing I'm going to shout out right now is uh, Wander Home. It's a delightfully fun game about pleasant critters doing pleasant critter things and and uh, you might enjoy it if you're looking for some nice cozy cottage core sort of vibes. Six. Oh yeah, we usually do seven. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I'm going to plug uh, is the Anis Hag. Uh, it's uh, a monster in D and D that I happen to have up on my monitor at the moment. Uh, it's creepy. It's creepy. Uh, if you're a DM and you want to throw something at your players that they're really going to not enjoy, throw an Anis Hag at them. Seven. Oh man. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for this lovely little interview. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and uh, person who interviews people. Interviewer. Yeah, (laughs) that's the word that I was looking for. And I've been joined by Uh, Evan Peterson, interviewee. Much love and stuff, everybody. We'll catch you next time on Improv Tabletop. (laughs) 